You're listening to Arc Radio Podcast. Assalamu alaikum and welcome to Sakina Society. Uh, I'm your host today along with Zina. Zina, how are you doing? Assalamu alaikum. I'm good, thank you. <laughs> alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah. And we are joined today with um we are joined by uh, with Tariq Ishaq. Assalamualaikum Tariq, how are you doing? Wa alaikum assalam. Alhamdulillah barakatuh. Alhamdulillah, I'm doing good. Yeah, um, so we actually recorded this show but had some infamous technical difficulties which tend to happen in Radio Ramadan every now and again. Um, but alhamdulillah, so today's uh, today's topic is quite a powerful topic um, and I'm glad to have uh, Tariq by here uh, speaking about it. Um, it's uh, the, t- the topic today is about remembering Bosnia and more specifically the genocide in Srebrenica. So I'd like to mention that to listeners that discretion is, is, is advised as we will be discussing some quite uh, disturbing events and survivor accounts of the events that took place. So uh, if you have any young children, we'd recommend listening to it later when the show is made available as a podcast. So uh, so uh, Tarek, wait, could you tell us a little bit, like, tell us briefly about who you are and a little bit about the organisation you're involved with? Yeah, well, like you said, my name is Tarek Isak and I'm on the board of Remembering Serebrenica Scotland. And the board is part of the national family of the charity called Remembering Serebrenica, which is chaired by Dr. Wakar Azmi, OBE. And our Scotland chair is the Scotland board is chaired by the very Reverend Dr. Lorna Hood. Yeah, fantastic. Um, so I guess it's a it's a bit of a complex issue that we're discussing. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you tell us briefly about um, you know the Bosnian War itself? Because not all our listeners are familiar with it. Yeah. So essentially, the war started because. The Serbs and the Croats living in Bosnia wanted to annex Bosnian territory for themselves. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a lot of ethnic cl- uh, there was a lot of ethnic tensions um, for some time, uh, and the nationalist leader, uh, who at the time was Slobodan Milosevic, was pushing for a Greater Serbia, as he called it. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Croats and the Bosnians were worried that Milosevic was going to try to take their land, uh, and they decided to call for Bosnian independence. Okay. The, the opinion was divided on the future of, of the Balkan Peninsula. Um, a lot of the Muslim nationalists wanted a centralised independent Bosnia, but the Serb nationalists wanted to stay in Belgrade-dominated Yugoslavia at the time, uh, and Croats wanted their own independent Croatian state. Uh, on the 29th of February and the 1st of March 1982, a referendum on independence was held in Bosnia. Uh, just shy of 100% voted yes uh, and independence was declared on mm-hmm. March the 3rd of that year. Okay. The, the Bosnian-Serb the Bosnian Assembly asked the Serb people, to, or the Serbs, to yeah. boycott the referendum, uh, and they, they started setting up roadblocks in protest. The Serbs in Bosnia then declared independence of the Republic of Spetska, um, which is known as Serb Republic. Mm-hmm. Almost four years of a brutal war followed until a Dayton Accord was signed on 14th of December. 1995. And, yep. Yeah, um, just before the war began, the, mm-hmm. uh, the notorious Radovan Karadzic, also known as the Butcher of Bosnia, uh, Dr. Radovan Karadzic, I'd like to add, because he was a, a, apparently a, a, a psychiatrist, uh, he created a renegade army within Bosnia uh, with the support of Milosevic in, in Belgrade. Uh, under his leadership in 1992, Bosnian Serbs began a policy of 
cleansing large areas of Bosnian, Bosnia and of non-Serbs. And when you say cleansing, we're talking about ethnic cleansing? Ethnic cleansing, yeah. Hmm. Um, uh, and after the war, a tribunal declared that the cleansing was actually genocide, uh, even recognised by the UN now, uh, and convicted Karadzic and his military commander of war crimes. The scary part I'd just like to mention is that mm -hmm. this was brewing for many, many years. Uh, the hatred for the Muslim Bosniaks probably stemmed from the times of the Ottoman rule. Okay. Uh, and in one video, you can hear Ratko Milajic, one of the generals of the Serb army, uh, infamous now, uh, who was tried at the Hague, calling for revenge against the Turks, as he put it. So, okay. it so you didn't consider them Bosnian? No, I think it's, uh, it was a hatred of how the Ottomans had ruled that place and how Islam was there in a small part of Europe uh, and they probably didn't believe that Muslims belonged there. Okay. And so it wasn't just these these convicted people that you're mentioning, there was, uh, was there not a sort of feeling throughout amongst other Serbs that, you know, there was like some planning, some agreement and when they got the headlight, green light from authority then they removed themselves from the situation. In fact, maybe you can tell us more about that. What actually happened during the war? Because obviously I'm getting ahead of myself, you know. Um, again, I'd like to mention that our list, to our listeners that discretion is advised. Yeah, well, like I said earlier, the, the hostility had been brewing for some time uh, and what still baffles many Bosnians is how their Serbian friends who lived with them as neighbours, or even some of them lived with them, uh, sharing flats or rooms, literally disappeared overnight without a word, almost as if there was a, a message sent to everyone that was invisible to the Bosnians, but, but to everyone else it was a green light, like you said, to leave. So it's uh, just to leave before... Just to leave before the, the Bosnian Serbs began their siege of Sarajevo. Mm -hmm. um, Muslim, Croat and Serb residents, some of them who did oppose the Greater Serbia, uh, were all cut off from food, utilities, communications... Uh, for three years, food was scarce. The average pe the average weight of a person loss of a person was thirty pounds. Um, more than twelve thousand residents uh, were killed during the forty three month of siege, the longest in any history of modern warfare. Mm -hmm. Throughout Bosnia, um, the Serb nationalists and the GNA, which is uh, the Yugoslav People's Army, as they call it, GNA. Um, began a programme of ethnic cleansing to try and create a pure Serbian territory. And basically entire villages were destroyed, and thousands of Bosnians were driven from their homes, held in detention camps, raped, tortured, deported, killed. Rape was used as a military tactic. It was used to destroy the bonds of families and communities. Um, I think overall it was estimated still, there's still not an exact figure, but at least over 100,000 people were killed or disappeared, um, a majority of them being Bosnian Muslims. Um, there was an international bar arms embargo set on the Bosnian people, uh, which prevented them defending themselves against the, the might of the Serbian and Croatian enemies. And they were supported by Yugoslavia. Uh, was there any, like, peacekeeping force sentence? Yeah. Well, the peacekeeping force, if you just look at the Serbinitsa genocide, um, yeah. the Serbinitsa genocide happened just over a few days and claimed the lives of 8,372 Muslim men and boys. 
and this happened under the watch of a so-called Dutch keeping peacekeeping force yeah. uh, who in 2014 by the way I'd like to mention were found liable by a Dutch court uh, the commander of that force locked himself in his room whilst the genocide and rape took place around him and if you ever visit Serenica you can see exactly the, the paint factory where this happened and where their camp was where they were based and this guy like I said just locked himself in that room and what what went on around him like what was what was going on like well, in terms of the hills you know the hills around uh, when I first visited Srebrenica um, I found a, a very strange eeriness around that area there's, there's, there's hills there's obviously now a, a memorial where there's the graves where people have been given proper burials mm-hmm. uh, but it's a very eerie place um, it's obviously witness to the massacre and genocide and rape and so much um, atrocities, atrocities you know so if you stand there you know just staring into space you can you can almost feel the eeriness um, you know three years before Srebrenica happened Lady Thatcher mentioned uh, or spoke of this ther- Serbian ethnic cleansing policy and compared the expulsion of the non-Serb population with barbarities of Hitler and Stalin. Mm. Uh, I think it's estimated about twenty to 50,000 women were raped or sexually uh, violated as part of the Serbian policy. And that was like a, as you said, that was a psychological... Yeah, it was, it was a, it was a weapon yeah. used, you know, a weapon of warfare for them. It was acceptable to use that type of thing um, to destroy psychologically and physically. You know, mm-hmm. break up families them. as well, and Absolutely. just to kind of create that tension there. Yeah. Um, there was rape camps set up. Um, there was concentration camps set up as well. Um, that was first uh, highlighted by British journalist Ed Williamy. Uh, his picture appeared on the cover of Time magazine with a, a guy called Fikret Alic, who was a very frail, skinny-looking guy, been malnourished, and that's when realised there was a hidden genocide. Going on and yeah. under European noses, absolutely. And there's still a lot of children, I suppose, born of these rape crimes that are now very isolated um, and don't know, you know, what's where their mothers are. Or yes, there so is. What happened to those uh, children that came well, from? Uh, I mean, uh, there's a lot of stigma attached, obviously, with rape, as you know, um, and a lot of these women don't openly talk about it because. You know, it's, it's, it's like a double whammy, so to speak. You know, first they've been raped uh, and physically abused, and then secondly, they're not, they can't talk about it. I mean, some of them do talk about it, but many f- still feel the stigma of, of talking about such an act, especially being a Muslim. Mm-hmm. And you've spoke to some of the, you've also spoke to some of the mothers who've lost men and are looking for their yeah. bodies to, or parts of bodies so that they can bury them for some closure. Yeah, well, there's, there's, there's so many stories, you know, I don't know where I would start, but I mean, I, share, I can share a few with you. I mean, I, I remember meeting a mother who, who who said how she was separated from her son, and her son was crying, he was 12 years old, um, he didn't want to leave her side, and the Serbs were saying to, to, to him and to her, don't worry, he'll be back soon. But the reality was, with countless others, that he was shot and buried in a mass grave. And uh, many mass graves still haven't been found. 
a lot of the the mothers now are looking for closure and asking people, you know, asking them to, to disclose the mass graves, but some of them, just out of pure evilness, or for whatever reason, still would not disclose some of the locations that the UN knows exist. And there's a lot of work going on in Bosnia by the International Commission for Missing Persons, ICMP, which has been funded by UN and many mm-hmm. other organisations yeah. and governments to try and find these graves. Uh, and they're using DNA to match relatives with remains found, and some of those remains might be as little as two or three bones being found. But it still gives some closure to a mother or a sister or a daughter, knowing that maybe her father or her brother or her son's been found. Uh, but yeah, just going back to some of the, you know, when the Bosnians ran into the hills, uh, they were called back with the promise that they wouldn't be harmed. But as they, they surrendered or were caught, they all suffered the same fate, shot and buried in mass graves. And they also used other Bosnians to draw them out as yes, well? Yes, that's to right. To say, yeah. come, it's safe. Yeah, and they're, they're, yeah they, these guys were held at gunpoint to shout that everything's okay, you can mm-hmm. calm down, nothing's wrong, you'll be fed and looked after. Um, but it was totally opposite of, of what the fate that they, they actually met. Um, I, one of the other harrowing stories that I remember someone telling me when I was out there is his friend, uh, a guy. One of the one of the guys had been when he got married, Bosnian. His best man was a Serbian. Many years ago, before the war. Um, this this best man actually ended up raping that same wife during the conflict and this is how you know deep the feelings were yeah, so there's there was turning f- friends against one another absolutely almost? yeah it, it literally was you know it just it became divided on ethnic lines that you know it didn't matter if that was your best man at the wedding or if that was your best friend in school the fact that this propaganda had been fed to them that the Muslims were were scum and you know were not worthy that they, they, they had to be eradicated from from that territory at any cost, just turn people so horribly against one another. But there's many there's many survivor accounts, but there's a lot of stories on the website. You know, some of them are a wee bit too emotional for me to to go into because yeah. I still remember when speaking to some some of the mothers. It's some people couldn't couldn't take it. It can't. Um, I remember um, a group of police officers that went with us. They told us how some of their colleagues from the Metropolitan Police had been over in one of the delegations previously, and some of these guys had been, you know, dealing with criminals, hardened criminals, from 25 for 25, 30 years. And these guys actually broke down when they spoke to and heard the stories of the mothers. Yeah. So you know that kind of gives you some idea how mm-hmm. really yeah. Yeah. horrible the accounts yeah. are. Did you collect these accounts yourself? Yeah, I collected a lot of these things myself. Um, uh, it's, sometimes it's, it's just quite a lot to try and think of these things. It, mm-hmm. it's, it does actually psychologically affect even those who weren't there. Yeah, it's a tease about it, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's just us hearing about it. We can't probably even begin to imagine what these people have went through, um, you know, during the time of the war. Yep. 
Should I? I think yeah, I'll see, be doing one of the. You had something to share. Yeah. Again, just for the next two, or, uh, three or four minutes. If, if there's any children listening, they might want to. You might want to come back um, or listen to this again on a podcast. So I'm just going to give a few seconds for anyone to sort of, if they yes. want to switch or turn up, turn to another, you know, radio or something like that. Yeah. Um, so this is the account of a 15-year-old. Um, so she was taken to a rape camp near Srebrenica. So I'll just start with, with the quote. This is in her own words. I lived in the Srebrenica municipality. Bosniaks and Serbs lived there together. I couldn't see any difference between us. It was not until the war started in 1991 in Croatia that I had a clue who was Croat, who was Serb, who was Muslim. Then, at the beginning of 1992, Serbs started to move out my village. They just disappeared. The rumours began that there would be war in Bosnia too, but we didn't think it could happen. One night I was woken by explosions and shooting. It was the most terrifying moment of my life. I was lying in bed, hearing my heart beating. I couldn't breathe. My sister and I jumped out of bed and ran to my parents' room. No one knew what was happening. As soon as it got light, we left our home and met other Bosnian Muslims who were heading to the meadows for safety. My father asked, what is this all about? To his neighbour. Our neighbour acted as if he didn't know us at all. He was armed, so we went with him to the mining company's head office where there were other Bosnian Muslim prisoners. The commander told us that those people whose names were called were going for exchange. He called everyone's names except the nine of us, mainly girls. That is where the nightmare began. They told three of us that we had to go and clean some military building in Bratunak. When we got there, it became clear that we had not been brought to clean anything. We were taken to an abandoned house and, and that night... The, all three of us were raped. I was raped by one soldier, the other two girls were raped by two soldiers. The next day, they sent someone else to guard us. We sat up all day and eventually our guard allowed us to go to bed. Not long after, not long after we went to lie down, we heard noise, yelling, knocking, walking up the stairs. Suddenly, someone was banging on the door of the room we were in, but, but we didn't dare to get up. A soldier broke the door down. There were about 11 soldiers there who had just arrived. I knew a lot of them. They said they were going to take us back to the mining company, but they lied. Instead, they drove us to the front of some other house where they raped us again. This is where they gave us Serbian names, supposedly for our own safety. Um, sorry, this is where she, uh, she, the girl talks about um, when she now has moved to a refugee camp. So in this camp, she says, this is where they gave us Serbian names, supposedly for our own safety. I stayed there with Serb refugees in a couple of weeks and for a couple of weeks which after after which more Bosnian Muslim refugees arrived. This is where I met my now ex-husband. I was only 16 years old. At the end of 1993 I had my first baby. Over the following months, um, Mersada, whose account I'm telling the story of, was again moved from place to place, this time as a refugee. She had no idea if her family was alive until August 1993 when she found out via the Red Cross that her family was alive and living in the UN safe zone of Srebrenica. They wrote to each other until 1995. It is when she speaks of her family and that of her father that, she's, that, she, breaks about, that she breaks down and begins to cry. And again, this is her quote. In 1995, I found my mother, sister and brother in the Tuzla area. They'd come from Srebrenica. I asked about my father. They told me that he had stayed behind Srebrenica. They did not know what happened to him. After weeks without the news, the Red Cross told us that my father was alive 
in the Batkovici camp. He was released before the New Year's Eve 1995. We had not seen each other since the beginning of the war, over three years, and he had came to see me straight away. He'd lost so much weight I couldn't recognise him. And then it, she goes on to talk about her life after this. Um, because she was a survivor of uh, sexual violence, she's struggled with the aftermath. Um, for many women like her, the, the cycle of violence doesn't end there. She went on to have a lot of problems in her marriage, which were related to the suffering in her war. Um, she she suffered physical and mental humiliation uh, from her husband. Um, obviously, you're living with such something that's so mm. so happened to you. It's so deep, and like you were saying earlier, Daddy, with the stigma that's attached to something like that, it can't be easy. Mm. Mm. Um, so yeah, I think I, I think I'll leave it there. It goes on. I mean, like I said, if anyone wants to hear more survivor accounts, they're on the website. But that was just one. Could, uh, that was that wasn't even the worst one. That was even that was one of the softer yeah. ones. Yeah. Could you just uh, mention the name of the website? I think it's www.srebrenica.org.uk. Maybe want to spell that for Yeah, I'll, I'll spell that. Uh, so it's www.srebrenica.org.uk. And um, surely during the kind of... some Obviously we, we had some harrowing accounts being discussed <coughs> and those kind of accounts tend to have quite a negative impact on people's faith sometimes. I mean, it can strengthen, I'm sure it can strengthen some people's faith, but it can also be quite a, um, you know, I can imagine it would lead people out with the with the faith of Islam. So in terms of your interaction with Bosnians, uh, how, what, have you, what have you heard? Uh, I think a lot of people were scarred, uh, not only from an Islamic perspective, but just about God and religion in general. Um, remember, there was a lot of Croats killed by the Serbs as well, who were Orthodox Christians. Um, but having said that, you know, some of the ones I spoke to said that they became stronger in their faith. Okay. Uh, some said, you know, the question still to this day: Why did it happen? Mm. Um, and it's very sad to see this and even hear this from them. Um, we can't really begin to imagine what these people have obviously been through. Yeah. So although some and I, I know you were saying over the break that you've you've had some read some accounts yeah, yeah. and stuff but yeah like I mean you you tend to hear these things even around so during the sacking of Baghdad even there was you know talk of historians saying how this felt like it was punishment almost yeah yeah uh, that's that, right. you know and I, I believe even you know just talking about the talking about what happened in Baghdad in terms of during the Mongols apparently they say one of the leaders themselves claimed that oh the reason why we were sent to you and we destroyed you ultimately was because we were sent as a punishment from your god so this kind of idea of punishment and stuff um yeah is that have you found that to be yeah, the case I, at I all mean, yeah I, I, I certainly have heard some really you know sad stories um but i i tried to personally focus not on uh, i'm not saying that you know, you, this is what you're trying to get at, but I don't want to judge people on that. No, I'd no, rather no, focus no, on the no, fact no. that the reality and the fact is that the Serbs carried out a genocide, you know, they carried out some horrendous crimes against women, against young boys, girls, people of all ages, simply because they were Muslim. Um, and I'd, ra I'd rather, you know, people were focusing on that as opposed to, you know, looking at their, their being faith. or their yeah, faith. Yeah. 
because that's not really for me to to judge. Mm-hmm. But I can imagine that ultimately. But yeah, you're right. Of, I mean, people because of because of the simply the numbers of people killed as well. That Islam is basically. I can imagine it's 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 fading from that region. You know. Uh, I I don't know about fading so much. You know, I've met some really uh, strictly strict practicing Muslims, mashallah. Um, you know, there there's uh, there's there's some who are maybe less practicing, uh, but that's an up to each individual. Yeah, yeah. You know, course. a lot of people, a lot of people who may have turned away from Islam doesn't take away the fact that these people suffered. They suffered, yeah. yeah you know, because they they, 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 they associate themselves with being Muslim or. Yeah, because that's that. one thing that we were just discussing before the show was that some like because uh, Zina and I actually have uh, a friend, a couple of friends mm-hmm. from Bosnia, and, and I think they're listening in right now. Yeah, so, so assalamu alaikum for listening. But you know, one thing they were saying was that many people. Um, because coming out of communism as well, um, many people were very religious, and the only remnants of Islam that was left was just a name, just yeah. having this kind of Muslim-sounding name, and that was the reason why these people were like all these horrible things happened to them because of their name ultimately, which is just a quite a yeah, yeah. That that, that is uh, that is something I think. We I'm, I'll, I'll speak about it in a bit. Um, I just want to mention the fact that there's some really old and beautiful mosques oh, yeah. in in Sarajevo. Yeah, uh, there's many in around around Bosnia that were destroyed ultimately during the, the, this the, as well. There, there was some, yeah, that were destroyed. But even even just kind of going back to Sarajevo, you know, there's some beautiful mosques here that have a lot of Ottoman influence. Mm. Um, and if anyone's been to Istanbul, they would probably see a. a to be able to to contrast the two places, to the, yeah, oh. yeah, yeah. Uh, and and also uh, there's a, a and I forget the, f- the actual f- the year or something is one of the oldest synagogues mm-hmm. in Europe and Bosnia, um, not just probably a stone throw away from one of the main mosques in the town centre. Um, and there's a beautiful place. Uh, <coughs> excuse is, me. Is that still standing? Like it's still standing, yeah. And I can't remember, but they played quite a part. In, in helping Muslims mm-hmm. uh, and Muslims and Jews and Christians, you know, live side by side there in harmony for for centuries. So it's quite, you know, remarkable to notice that this kind of these atrocities took place in a place where these people were actually living together in harmony. In harmony, yeah. For for many centuries. Mm-hmm. And what do mm-hmm. the the survivors? Uh, what do they want to be done by the global community? Well, interestingly, the people I've spoken to, including Nedjad, who you mentioned earlier on, yeah, yeah. Um, he was shot and left for dead in a pile of bodies, uh, and subsequently arrived, uh, survived. Alhamdulillah. He was. He was. Could you tell us a little bit more about? Yeah, he, 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 his story is very emotional. Um, he was. He was. I heard him talk at Glasgow Central Mosque, at the event that we organised mm. back in 2014, and he wasn't due to talk then. Um, Nidja does a lot of talks for news channels and stuff uh, he, he's obviously as you can imagine in demand so to speak to to give his account and stuff uh, and he he his story we, we might go into a bit more detail later on yeah. but I, I want to touch on you you're asking you know what they, 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 they want from the global community Marshall his, his message is remarkable he, he still teaches a message of forgiveness and tolerance and, and and more importantly, not to hate. 
You know, he stresses on that. You know, he's, he's a father of, I think, three three young girls, uh, or three kids, I think it's two girls and a boy. Um, and he's, he says, I want to bring them up in a society where, there's, where they don't hate each other. Mm-hmm. You know, and this is from somebody who went through what he did go through. Yeah. And his, I believe his father was... Was he lost his father? Yes, he did. Yeah, he lost his father as well. Um, I lost uh, other family members. And if you speak to this guy, so humble. Yeah. Just like many of the other mothers that I've met um, and heard their stories, but they all have the same message. They don't ask for money. They don't ask for items. They just say, just tell the world what happened. Yeah. Because to this day, the Serbs deny that the genocide took place. They teach the same rhetoric in schools. Um, and this is even after the UN have absolutely pr- have said that this was genocide yes, that was taking absolutely. place. Absolutely, mm-hmm. you know, there, there's a lot of propaganda on Serb channels uh, and the type of things that they teach kids. The, the, there's a, a lady who, who now moves yeah, to, to the UK. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, she's quite active on on the Bosnian cause, and somebody contacted her turned out to be, he was a young, I think he was a teenager from Serbia, and he'd, he'd been contacting her on Facebook saying, why are you putting out all these lies, etc. And yeah, because she was saying that... She was she basically was putting out the story of the genocide out there. Yeah. And he was wondering why she was putting all this out, because his, the narrative he'd been taught in Serbia was totally the opposite, that the Muslims were the bad ones and they started the genocide of the Serbs, etc., and it culminated in them exchanging numbers and he subsequently phoned her all the way from Serbia and had a, a two hour conversation with her and after that two hour conversation he apologised to her because he actually had done a bit of research before he came on the phone and realised that he'd been fed a pack of lies effectively yeah. and he apologised to her on behalf of the Serbians and then apologised to her for not having known the truth and, and claiming or accusing her of putting out false propaganda. So this is the type of thing that, you know, that these guys are up against still in that... You yeah, because it's, it's, it's quite scary to think that even all those things happening, there's still this kind of almost rhetoric being shoveled down people's yeah, throats that there is because there's still, like, oh, there was... It was so-and-so's fault when and that that's scary to think that that kind of mindset is still like brewing almost yeah it's scary and it's it's also it's also rubbing salt in the wounds of of the mothers and the survivors you know after everything that happened yeah people are looking for their the bodies of their loved ones still you know 20 years on Mm -hmm. but they're they're in denial about it or they're, they're deliberately trying to deny it yep i think that's what i've been hearing from people as well is that uh, they just want peace now and that that they're living in peace now and I suppose mm. that's one of the reasons why they don't want to come out and speak about it because it brings opens a part of history which might be controversial for a lot of the people that are living together now. Yeah, yeah. But well, they're, they're living in relative peace. peace yeah. I mean, they're, they're living in peace because of the love. But there is, there's still always, there's always something that every now and again flares up uh, from a Serbian mayor or a provincial yeah. governor or something and sure. they exactly. try to stop the... The, the the seed uh, or, or try to stroke the fire a, a little bit yeah. mm. and it's hurtful and there's still potential you know that's that, that place could still go up again and and hopefully not inshallah but inshallah. there's there's always that chance so you know you, one side wants to portray one angle but the other yeah. one wants to try to give out the truth and 
it doesn't help when these guys come out and you know deny that this didn't happen or put out a false narrative and yeah. like, to brainwash people and condition them yeah no and because like you said you know I think it's quite important to know that because you just mentioned there's you know about how you know they're living in peace re- relative peace but they were living in relative peace prior to the war mm. and you know that that's why you know I guess we have to really you know get the message out there on the on on these people's behalf mm-hmm. yeah yeah Absolutely. Uh, so I just, I'm going to jump ahead to one of the questions. I think it's just relevant to what we're talking about right now. Um, I mean, given the events that have happened with the re- re- recent terrorist attacks, what does what can Bosnia tell us or teach us about communities in Islamophobia today? Uh, that's a very good question. Um, like I mentioned earlier, there, there's a. There, I, 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 I think I, I touched upon this earlier on. There's, there's a rising tide of Islamophobia. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And worryingly, from some senior figures, mm. uh, you know, sometimes cleverly disguised, and and this should be challenged. Um, I mean, this was a group of people integrated at every level of society. They were the same colour. They ate the same food. They socialised. They worked together. They they they, they were indistinguishable. In, in indistinguishable. Indistinguishable, right? And they were their lineage was was you know they had the same. Absolutely. The only thing you could probably tell them apart was maybe their surnames. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that it, just the name. Uh, uh, and, and that's really worrying because there's a lot of people talk about integration in today's society and in the yeah. UK. You know, if, if that's what integration brings in, maybe integration isn't the right way of going about mm. it. Maybe it's something else that needs to be looked at. Of course, integration's good, but does it bring, does it bring peace and harmony? Uh, because it, never, it, it, didn't it didn't avoid what happened with you know, the genocide and, and the subsequent war in Bosnia. So that's. I think one thing you mentioned m- before is this kind of idea of wherever hate is being spread, we resist. Yeah, and that, that narrative. That's, that's you know. absolutely. I mean, I think hate, no matter you know in what shape or form it comes in, if it's left unchallenged, it can become something really, really bad. Yeah, as it did, unfortunately, in people, the case of Bosnia. Peop- yeah, mm-hmm. uh, people will have something. I mean, somebody says, you know, something to someone based on their colour, mm-hmm. or their religion, anything else, you know, their sexual orientation, whatever. If 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 it's left unchallenged, it gives them a carte blanche to, to do it, and it gives yeah. other people the okay that, you know, it's acceptable, and it's not, because mm-hmm. if you don't start challenging things at a small, small level, then that's how when they, they grow into something big. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that is definitely something that we can learn from Bosnia. We could we could have learned it from the Holocaust seventy years ago. But unfortunately, it wasn't learned properly, and then Bosnia happened. Yeah. You know, if if you if you kind of take this into perspective, um, I'm just looking at some of my my, yeah, take your facts, time. And my facts and figures. Sorry, mm-hmm. yeah, before I read it, the wrong thing. But sure. Yeah, I, I made a note here. Interestingly. Um, about the Holocaust, um, you know, it's about fifty fifty years after the you know the Jews were uh, marked out yeah. for their faith. You know, we had the uh, the white armband. Yeah. So you, can you tell? Yeah. So 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 the white armband was similar to how. The Jews had the Star of David 
yeah, wasn't it? Or? Yeah, that's right, yeah. So, you know, the yeah, I actually find my notes here, yeah. So, I mean, 50 years after the Nazi decree that required Jews to wear a yellow star of David to segregate them, mm-hmm. you know, from the non-Jewish population, you know, once again, we had an ethic of religious group marked for extermination, this time in modern-day Bosnia, you know, and it was at white armbands. So they were forced to wear white armbands? They were forced armbands. to wear white armbands uh, or hang white bedsheets outside their windows to distinguish a, a Bosnian household from a non-Bosnian household. Um, so you can imagine the, the psychological trauma yeah. for people, um, the, the fear factor. Yeah. And you know, the, I guess this, the, the kind of scary thing is, is that, of course, you know, what happened in World War Two with the Holocaust was shocking, mm. but that is being discussed in schools yes. over here. Yeah. Whereas this was a more recent event. This is this is a much more recent event taking place in Europe. In Europe, mm-hmm. but it's not it's not being discussed. Literally really. on our doorstep. On our doorstep. Yeah. Something well. that something that uh, I was going to touch upon was one of the things you can download from the the website, uh, and one of the things that we're actually working on just now uh, is trying to get an education pack that we've created. Uh, hoping to try and get that into the school curriculum in mm-hmm. across the UK. So you are you actually trying to appeal to? We are, yeah. We're working uh, with ministers and with uh, MSPs and MPs, and hopefully, you know, this can be adopted into curriculum because it's a very important part of European history because it happened literally on our doorstep. Yeah. Uh, that that education pack can be downloaded, and I mean, there's nothing to stop you looking at and using that now. If you know, if you're part of a, a mosque or a madrasa or any other you know place where you teach kids it could be like a cubs boy cub scouts or whatever yeah, yeah. you call it even your ho- own children at home you know mm-hmm. you, they need to be taught you know what are the lessons that we can do uh, what was the lowest lessons we can learn and even this. even yourself even if you don't have kids it's absolutely still a lot of people they, they, they know some of the main things that there was a genocide mm-hmm. happened and muslims got killed but sometimes don't know the, the facts leading up to the crisis yeah. or the war and thereafter yeah. and, and still, there's still a lot of um, psychological trauma yeah. that goes on yeah. so and, the, and the website itself uh, I'm just going to repeat it again for our listeners is www.srebrenica.org.uk and srebrenica is spelled S-R-E-B-R-E-N-I-C-A and you've got a lot of resources on there a lot of yeah, videos I mean I was watching an account earlier and it's honestly I had uh, my hairs on my arms were standing up because some of these accounts are very, yeah. very troubling. Very, yeah. And there's a lot of resources on that website. Um, oh. the, the, the website's a great um, point of uh, information for anyone who wants to learn about it, um, mm-hmm. learn about it a bit more. Um, like I, I said earlier on, we've got regional boards. Um, okay. I'm myself being part of the Scotland board. But the the we've got a lot of cross party consensus uh, agreement on uh, the fact that this should be uh, used to tackle modern day or current uh, things like Islamophobia and other yeah. hate crimes. Yeah. Uh, the lessons from Sevenitsa is uh, is a series of trips that the charity do and they, they take out delegates uh, every sure. year. And there's, there's, there's quite a few trips that happen each year, and we take people from different backgrounds, uh, you know, different professions, NHS, education, 
political arena. Uh, I was just on the site, and I believe there was a delegation just out. Yeah, there's just, a delegation just, just today. Or yes, that's right. Yeah, uh, today? that's with uh, our, our, our chair, uh, Reverend Ronald Hood. Okay. Um, and oh, amazing! It's so nice to see that there's you know there's other faith groups or no faith groups that are also involved in this and that are. I, 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 our board is made up of a variety of people. We have uh, we have the leader of the Scottish Conservatives, Ruth Davidson, um, uh, MSP John Lamont from Labour. Uh, we have uh, people from the Church of Scotland wow. involved in it, mm-hmm. so it's, it's a fantastic board. Uh, it's brilliant. Uh, uh-huh. It's, it's, it's really good to know. And it's really good to know. You know, yeah. there's even like sort of spans over faith groups, politicians. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's something that we have u- like almost unanimous agreement about that. Yeah. We need to be and doing I think more. Of one this. of the messages is isn't just to educate your children on what ha- on sort of what happened, or even educate yourself, but as a spin-off from that just to be kind you know to others or the importance of dawah as well and yes. you know just to be you know if, if you are a muslim and to be good to others you know to to yeah. be kind to your neighbors and to i don't know if you're in position places where you offer service to someone as well just to be break down those barriers especially in a time like this absolutely i think i think bosnia and Srebrenica in particular can can teach us a lot of lessons um on how not to be um, yeah. Uh, how to be proactive when it comes to to being with your neighbours and you know colleagues at work and students at school or university. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the thirty first of May, um, just uh, last month here during Ramadan, um, the Scottish Parliament uh, hosted an event to mark White Armbandy. It's uh, it's White Armbandy is commemorated every year on the thirty first of May, and this year it was um, in Scottish Parliament. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there was uh, a really good number of MSPs that turned out and supported it, uh, and they, um, it was a very successful event. That's good. That's so tell us more about what's what's been happening. I mean, you you said there was also a, an event at Glasgow Central Mosque. What more do you does does your organisation do, or what's well, been done? This this um, we we try to focus. I mean, a lot of focus on Memorial Week because that's where the kind of concentration is nationally. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of mosques, churches, uh, uh, synagogues, etc. A lot of people get together and, and try to do something to, to commemorate this. And this year we've got Masjid al in the West End, uh, Glasgow mm-hmm. Central Mosque and Blackhall Mosque in Edinburgh. They're all going to be hosting the week-long exhibitions. Uh, this year's theme is Breaking the Silence, Gender and Genocide. We'll be focusing okay. on the stories of the women and the mothers, uh, especially the sexual violence and the rapes. Uh, the exhibitions uh, will be like I said at these three mosques but most other mosques a lot of other mosques are coming on board and they're going to be doing a khutbah for that Friday and some of them are going to be doing talks through the week either mentioning it through uh, prayer times mm-hmm. uh, or, or other small talks um, throughout the week inshallah you, you also mentioned the, the delegates going oh, I'm very wary that we have very little time left but I mean, so there's a lot of delegates Going over, mm-hmm. um, what's the what in your opinion have there been um, quite a good response from Muslims going over, or do you think that we really could be doing more? Is there something? I think um, I'm, I'm, I always say Muslims can always do more at all things. <laughs> to be honest, uh, but yeah, they can do more in here as well. We've had a lot of uh, delegates come out, both Muslim and non-Muslim, uh, and uh, there's always a because I think it would be it would be very. Uh, it's very important for Muslims to go out because mm-hmm. if if we are not the ones stepping up and going out and say for example there's Christians going out there's Jews going out but 
there's not enough Muslims there that was primarily you know our people so to speak that were that were uh, really affected by these by these events yeah, and we should definitely yeah. show our support we should show our support by I think getting I, involved yeah, I, again um, from a personal perspective I think we should always help people regardless of their faith but yeah you're right you know they are they are Muslims and people should go out there and, and yeah. do more I think one of the ways you can support them is being part of uh, sorry uh, not part of but trying to take a trip out there yeah, yeah. Uh, the economy needs support Okay. Um, one of the best ways to support any economy is by tourism. Yes. Yeah. You know, people so go go for holiday next uh, time to go to Bosnia. Absolutely. I mean, you don't need to go out for a whole week or two weeks. You yeah. can go for a long weekend. And mm-hmm. honestly, it is an absolutely beautiful place. The scenery is oh, breathtaking. S- you were saying, yeah. Yeah. And actually, our friends, because we're going on Saturday, you know, our friends sent us some sure. pictures of, um, you know, even Kiamalil Darawi at night. Yes. You know, you yeah. you know, and after. They break fast. They're sitting and having coffee together, and Absolutely, just yeah. some of the most beautiful places. Um, you know, Sufi Magams and houses, just really beautiful places, and it looks amazing. It's a really so, nice yeah. Bosnian food that you enjoy as well. Oh, I mean, it's, it's not as spicy as our stuff. But <laughs> <laughs> I don't think anything's as spicy no, as no, our, our stuff. <laughs> but I'm very very about time. Do you want to give like last like? Last 20 week. seconds just to go and send a message out to our listeners yeah if, if, if you can get involved uh, education packs for sure definitely try to download them have a look at the website if you can get involved in any way contact the, the, the charity email on, on there uh, you can get in touch with Radio Ramadan if you want to get my details lots of ways to volunteer yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. There's lots of things that you can do. There's lots of things you can. If you have contacts in education, you can definitely promote those education packs. Brilliant. Okay. So um, again, if anybody would like to find out anything else about it, the website is www.srebrenica.org.uk. I'll spell it again: S R E B R E N I C A. Jazakallah khairan to Tarek for coming along Thank today. You for your time. And uh, to our listeners, tune in tomorrow where we'll be discussing. The crisis of masculinity and, and chivalry. Inshallah, yeah, PM, inshallah, should be a good show. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, for myself and Zina, you've been listening to Skina Society. Assalamu alaikum. For more information and to listen to more podcasts, visit us at arc.score or check out the Arc Media app.